0: three two one from down in the dirty bird oh my goodness gracious
1: the only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet this is buzzard Dream. here are your hosts ben milam and patrick mcgee
0: We are back. This is episode number 20 of Buzzardry. It is Wednesday, December 1st. It's already December. That's pretty wild. We are glad you're with us. Glad to be with you. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how are you doing? Doing all right. Glad to be on. Glad to be back with you, Pat, for another episode. A little longer than usual after the Thanksgiving break, but we are very glad to be back with you. And once again, back after a win, two in a row, a winning streak.
1: Uh, Feels pretty good, Pat. Yeah, it does. It was a great way to uh, close out the season, where you get a convincing win. Yeah. Uh, it was a win where it was a little bit in doubt because you you went up twenty-one nothing. It was looking like it was just going to be a complete, yeah, you know, beat down. And then you kind of had that trick play, get the interception, uh, gave FIU a little bit of juice to get back in it, uh, cut it to twenty-one to fourteen. But eventually, in the second half uh you pull away you get a key fourth down stop you get a couple uh at least two turnovers in the um Mm -hmm. second half i believe and you end up winning 37 to 17 uh, on the same formula that you saw against La tech just the kind of that super back offense uh yep so yeah consistent uh ground game coupled with big plays in the passing game again and uh you know that was uh Kind of what led to a uh, 37-17 win on Saturday. Yeah, it
0: was a lot like the La Tech game where you f- you finally get some breaks in the turnover battle, uh, where you you know you get the red zone fumble um, where they're you know they march it down and are about to score and then they cough it up, much like La Tech did. Again, a lot of s- similarities to that game. Um, and also, FIU is just not that great. I mean, they're uh, they're kind of in shambles. But either way, it felt really good to to go out on a high note and. Yeah, like you, you pointed out that point in the game where, you know, you were really should have gone up 28 to nothing. You were moving the ball so well up 21 to nothing and you go with the trick play. The only the only time you throw it with an actual uh, rostered quarterback uh, with Goldstein on, on the trick play and you, you throw the interception, which he, I, I guess it was uh, was a Gunter they were throwing it to, one of the tight ends. Yeah. Um, but and he, he got held and yeah, they didn't it call was, it. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, that was a point I think if if that happens midway through the season or earlier in the season and you know they come back and score two touchdowns and it's a 21-14 game I think it goes a lot differently I think Coach Hall was on uh, the Super Talk show with Richard Cross earlier this week and he talked about how um, that point in the game is, is evidence of this team learning how to win and I think you know, we talked about the offseason momentum, but it also uh, you know with as young as this roster is to see an outcome like that, even against a really bad team, to see them respond in a, in a big spot right there and, and answer uh, and, and extend your lead and you know ends up being a 20 point win. I think I think that's a big deal and that points to these guys are uh, starting to build some confidence and still have some confidence and, and feel like they still have something to play for. Even even in a game where you're two at nine playing another, you know, really really bad football team, I think that that's a really good sign for this program.
1: Yeah, that was something that was kind of said after the game that this team kind of laid the foundation, laid the culture uh, for the rest of the Hall era. And uh, yeah, you kind of saw that those last, I mean, really last three games. You kind of that UTI said game where the team really fought and uh, kind of outperformed everybody's expectations. So you're seeing that culture being built, seeing uh, the ability to win, the ability to finish games. And I think that's really going to be important headed into 2022 and beyond. Get a couple wins under your belt. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we, we've talked about kind of 2013 versus 2014. 2013, uh, they only won that one game. And that was kind of the big thing that people said during 2013. was 2013 was, even though that team didn't have a uh, a lot of chances at, at wins, it was just people were saying, well, we, we don't even know how to win games. Because, yeah. you know, we lost all of 2012 and, um, you know, all those games in 2013 until the end. So, it's good to finish uh the year with a couple wins um you know even though you know, like you're saying it's not the strongest team certainly, but uh, just any kind of wins uh yeah you really give get some confidence get some experience uh and you really lay that foundation uh for twenty twenty two and beyond
0: yeah and that's and uh I was not trying to degrade the win i think it's it's uh, you know huge regardless of who you played I'm so glad that we played f i u in the last game because i think it just it's set up well for that. Uh, but just the season as a whole, since we're through 12 games, we'll kind of briefly review it. I told myself I was gonna go back and listen to our first episode. Um, but I think we were both sixish seven-ish wins and we thought that was a possibility. Um, of course, that w- we talked about I think the depth and how you, you couldn't afford a lot of injuries and obviously it went the other way and I think we're I think probably most people were, Around there, expecting you know us to push for a bowl game somewhere around there, but nobody expected to play eleven quarterbacks, and that regardless of who that happens to, especially a team that is not deep like we are, just personnel wise, and you're in a rebuilding phase. Um, yeah, you you get uh, to three and nine. It could have been a lot worse.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, like you said, we didn't have the or the depth. And I will just kind to listen to Holly He said something about we're going to have 85 scholarship players. He mm-hmm. actually said it this morning on the uh, Inside Southern Miss podcast. But, yeah, it was a situation where you had quarterback attrition unlike anything you could expect it, where you had low go down, you had keys go down. Yeah. Uh, you know, Webb, I guess he just wasn't ready for prime time. And then you had, uh, you know, you end up starting to walk on quarterback that I don't think anybody before the year um, would have thought would have been in the game. So, um, it was a situation where you had um yeah, like I was just saying, kind of talking in circles again, but um a ton of injuries that by far the most important position on the field, yeah, and that really affected um you know the trajectory of the season, obviously, you had other problems we've talked about the offensive line, oh yeah, yeah, um, but just you know not having that consistent quarterback and good quarterback play that really hamstrung uh the season um. You know, who knows if we had gone with the super back earlier in the year? <laughs> yeah, it could have been us. We could be talking about, you know, we won six games and we were going to the New Orleans Bowl. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, like Hall was saying, something about he wanted to implement the system and right, then right. before going uh, to those kind of drastic measures uh, where you're, you know, you're not using a quarterback. So, yeah, it, it was a season, uh, didn't meet expectations, but you know, obviously you had all those injuries we've talked about, and um. But I bet I think once you got to about through six or seven games, if you told us we'd win three games, I think you're almost exceeding expectations based on like the halfway point. Sure, sure. Past the halfway point, so maybe you don't meet preseason expectations. But um, I think you know after that North Texas game, I think we were just kind of hoping to get to two wins. Yeah. So uh, kind of a you know got a mixed bag on expectations, I guess. But um, so that's kind of how I view this uh, year, I guess. Yeah,
0: you. We're playing that last game. I think it was sixty-one scholarships, something like that. It, it's 60s. been low
1: sixties, yeah, think. low
0: sixties. And any, again, any, anyone that is playing with those low numbers is, is not going to be very good. And to get two wins, to be competitive in your last three games, um, it's pretty massive. And to your point about um, the quarterback, and you know, a lot of people have asked that question of should we have gone to the superback sooner? I think that that's also that's a pretty good picture of just the fact that people are asking that question of how how difficult or big of it's even bigger of a challenge i guess I'll, I'll say in year 1 of a coaching staff to to have no consistency at quarterback because you are trying to get this brand new system in which again was we've talked about is very different uh, from the past coaching staff and you know especially especially having three head coaches last year and just no consistent so you're you want to get that foundation of the system and regardless of the situation um and you know what the win loss column looks like so you could it's it's not a really realistic scenario for us to go to the super back um, because you you know you still had uh there was still opportunity for for guys at the quarterback position to play well and to give you a better chance to win. And that was part of it too, is you saw all these different faces and it was always like, okay, well maybe this guy will play better and maybe this guy will help us be competitive. Um, and then on top of that, the offensive line was just horrid uh, throughout the schedule, which were a lot better um, in the final three games. Really? I
1: mean, yeah. In terms of run blocking down the stretch, yeah. they were,
0: they were fun. Yes. And so, Another question I think that's come up is you take away the quarterback injuries, you keep the bad offensive line. Trey Lowe is your starter through twelve games. Do we get to six wins?
1: Uh, I don't know because that first game against South Alabama, I mean, the offense wasn't really much better than it was <laughs> without him. That's true. Um, so I don't know. That would have been you know, we really didn't see him enough to, I guess, kind of one and a half games. But even in kind of that Grambling game, it was we felt a little. Things felt a little sluggish. So, uh, yeah. I I have no idea. It would have been interesting to see how he would have progressed over the you know season uh, as he got to know the system more because, you know, I guess everybody was learning the new, the new system with the new coaching staff. So, yeah, I have no idea. I, th- I mean, I think Keyes showed some things. Um, you know, just see – Keyes had a couple moments in that Alabama game just kind of yeah. when you adjust for sure. uh, competition. Um, and he showed what he can do with his legs against scrambling, gave us a little bit of a spark in that game. So yeah it would have been interesting to see what either one of those guys could have done but uh it, it's tough to say it, yeah you know, that, I mean that's a very yeah, hypothetical yeah, i mean listen to the hall I think he said if we had you know lower keys he thought we would have won six or seven so yeah um who knows it's um kind of a tough question but a very interesting one though.
0: yeah it, it you know i'm gonna say yes uh just from watching trey low and fall camp for most of fall camp i was i was really impressed by by trey and you know, there there is certainly the possibility. He, it it would not be the first instance of someone being good in practice and not it not translating to the game. But from what I saw from from Trey, just his his abilities, and he was starting to get a a full grasp of the offense. You know, early early in the schedule before he went down, and so I I think from what we saw. That that was he was going to be better than that. I think once he got a full grasp of the playbook and got his feet under him, because that was really, you know what, he, he started that last game against FAU in 20, and that was really, you know, the extent of his experience as a starting quarterback.
1: Oh, he had a couple starts before the, but right, I mean, I guess in terms of like a full preparation. A full, run. yeah,
0: full week. And, you know, he had, yeah, in, in terms of him being the guy, uh, which is, you know, very different way to prepare regardless of what anyone says I, I think we get the six wins I think he he gets his feet under him and um again you know have no idea but uh I, I think it's really unfortunate because I, I think Trey is a really good quarterback and um he'll be back and you know and you'll have a number of other talented guys possibly a transfer thrown in there somewhere you know I i coach hall has mentioned that to me it feels like and we talked about how you felt you felt good about the quarterback room coming into this year and I almost want to say that again even without a transfer but it's 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 also hard to say that because you just there was just so much chaos the quarterbacks and injuries and in you know guys not being as good as you wanted wanted them to be so it feels like to me it's a matter of if you get a transfer QB it's gonna it's gonna be a an almost surefire guy it's gonna it's gonna be a guy who you feel like is gonna come in and and be the guy from day one whether it's for a year or two years whatever it is
1: yeah so before the year you had three guys that were kind of mid to high three stars yep uh in the quarterback room so you just on paper just based on their high school pedigree you felt good about that but I guess the thing with quarterback is you know, like outside of like the top five guys that all go to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, like it's almost a crapshoot until they get under under the lights and you can see what they are. Sure. Um. So I guess, I mean, you can think that, you know, well, we know this guy's going to be good. We know this guy isn't going to be good. But it's, it's so hard to tell outside of the, you know, the top five-star guys. So that's kind of the thing you're looking again uh, next year. If you bring in now, like you're saying, if you're going to bring in a surefire guy, a guy that's already performed on the college level, that would, you know, make it less of a crapshoot. shoot. Um yeah you know we talked about miles Brennan or someone like that, I yeah mean, who knows if you get uh, a guy of that kind of profile but um yeah yeah so it was but it was interesting i hall said on two different uh, on his post game media uh availability and then the, this morning on the podcast he did not mention low as a quarterback returning he said you know we have oh um he said we have tackies he said we have the um Highest-rated high school quarterback in the state, which is uh, Zach Wilkie from Hernando, mm-hmm. but he did not mention Lowe in either of those um, media appearances oh, or interviews. So I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means Lowe won't be back, or if that was just kind of a you know he just forgot about him. I, I have no idea. Yeah, um, that's interesting though. Yeah, so he's pretty. I, he's usually pretty thorough with with how he talks about this. Yeah, things. so I mean, you ha- you have Keys, who you know, obviously a high three-star guy. Um, one of the better quarterbacks you brought in um, all time, just at USM right there with, you know, like Anthony Alford and yep. guys like that. Um, and then, you know, you're thinking you're going to bring in the transfer. We don't know yet. And then outside of that, um, you know, we we thought we were going to have uh, low back, but, I mean, who, who knows? He, maybe he won't return just based on that from Hall. We could be read, reading too much into that. Yeah, um, I hope so. I hope Trey's back. But um, so I guess that's kind of a preview of the quarterback room where – you hopefully have you're gonna have two guys, uh, you know, keys in the transfer and then, you know, very well could have three if uh, if Lowe comes back. So you have two or three guys to uh compete for that quarterback spot, uh provide good competition. So
0: Yeah, Trey Lowe's Twitter bio still says USM quarterback, so Okay. It's yeah well I guess <laughs> we'll yeah none see. of those things really mean anything but yeah. um yeah, hopefully Trello is still around. But, uh, you know, a lot of things could shake out in the off um, uh, for sure. So, 2022, bowl game or bust, feels like?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you you want to win six or seven next yeah. year. And it could look next year's schedule is going to be, I feel like, something yeah. more challenging. So, yeah. you open up with Liberty. Now, they are losing um, Malik Willis, which mm-hmm. is a big loss. But, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they still got Freeze there. He'll have something cooked up. They're going to be a competitive team, no doubt. Oh, yeah uh and then you go to Miami you know a top 10 top 15 recruiter I know they've been vulnerable in recent years but they're still gonna have a lot of really good players you're gonna be an underdog there uh and then we think you know you play Northwestern State I kind of I kind of throw out the idea of swapping Northwestern State out for Jackson State on Twitter today just because uh it'd be fun Mm. because it'd be a sellout great atmosphere but yeah they've been
0: been talking a little smack they have a little overconfident
1: yeah the one of their personnel like their personnel director but um you're probably going to play Northwestern State. Mm-hmm. That is a Southland, you know, bottom of the barrel typically team. So you you, you expect to win that. Uh, and then you go to Tulane. I know Tulane hasn't been good this year. They went 2-10. and ten. They had some close games, though. They're going to bring back Michael Pratt, um, you would think, unless he goes in the transfer portal, which isn't expected. They're really well coached with Willie Fritz. So you expect them to get back uh, to a competitive level. So yeah. that, that'll be a challenging game as well. So you really have three tough games in the non-conference. Mm-hmm. Then you talk about... Okay, well, I mean, the big factor is, are you going to be in the Sun Belt or are you going to be in Conference USA? If you're going to be in the Sun Belt, you know, you add a game with um, Louisiana Lafayette, which is, you know, their top 25 team this right. year. And then depending on what you get in the crossover, you could get App State or uh, Coastal Carolina or potentially both. I mean, I wouldn't expect yeah. you to get both. But, I mean, just if, let's say you get one of those, well, that's, you know. Yeah, two top
0: 25 matchups and that you wouldn't have
1: right. in a Conference USA. Yeah, USA's I mean, country. App yeah. State, if they beat Lafayette. They'll probably be in the top 25, I would think. And if you look at, like, FPI and S&P Plus, App State already is a top 25 team. They've really uh, finished strong, blowing a lot of teams out. So you're going to have possibly five, um, you know, pretty difficult games. And if you're in Comfort USA, then you're going to, you know, you won't play ULL or, um, you know, at at App State or Coastal Carolina, but you will play UTSA, UAB. Um, La Tech will probably bounce back in some form. So you're going to have – really regardless of uh, what conference you're in you're gonna have about you know five reasonably tough games whereas this year you know the non-conference was I mean pretty soft honestly I mean you had the game at Alabama which is a, I mean that's you yeah know, a, a meat grinder obviously but you know Troy didn't make a bowl South Alabama didn't make a bowl yeah. I mean next year you have three games where you might be underdogs uh mm-hmm. going into it yeah um so I th- but I do think seven wins is attainable. Yeah, even with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you go if you get out of out of conference um, at two and two, then you just have to go five hundred at conference play. I feel like that'd be attainable, especially you know you think you're gonna bring in a bunch of transfers or at least try to. You know, Hall keeps talking about he wants a team that'll beat this team by thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it is very attainable, even with a um, upgraded non conference schedule to win six or seven.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, bowl game or bust, and uh, still a lot to take shape. Um, s- there's been some smoke about some uh, staff changes. We're not going to comment on that because we have no idea and don't want to proliferate any any rumors that are not true. Um, but we'll we'll certainly keep tabs on that and break that down uh, next week if if something comes out in between now and then. Uh, we did have some questions. I yeah. uh, tweeted out. Uh, we're, I guess we'll uh, we'll go to those after we get through our yeah. regularly regularly scheduled programming. Um, then we'll we'll go. So we'll circle back around. If you were listening for questions, we'll circle back around. Uh, let's let's talk about basketball, Pat. When you walked in the door, I had the game on uh, through. Six minutes. I think we were down eighteen to nothing against South Alabama. We'll we'll talk about that game in a second. Uh, it's halftime right now. Let's go back to last week. It was a it was a pretty good week. We talked about how you really you needed to go at least two and two, including that Lamar game. I mean,
1: we I think we kind of agreed three and one.
0: Yes. Yeah. You're yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Good correction on that. So yeah, we said we said three and one in four pretty important game um, important games and four winnable games. And you go 3 and 1, and uh, I, I think you definitely take that.
1: Yeah, so against UNCW, that was, I think that was definitely our best game of the oh, year. Oh, yeah. Where Rashad Bolton had 29, there was a point where he had not he missed. He couldn't
0: miss, yeah. He,
1: yeah, he, he was really hot that game. And, uh, I mean, UNCW ended up withdrawing because of the flu. I, I don't <laughs> know how much of a factor that was, yeah. but that was a game where you were really good offensively. Uh, you got your bigs involved uh, with Stevenson and Moore. Um and then, like we talked about, Bolton. So that was a really good win, I thought, against uh, UNCW. Then you really got an ugly win yeah. uh, against UC San Diego where you win in the 50s. We talked about that was going to have to be something we do this right. year with um, kind of lack of outside threats offensively. Going to have to win ugly, going to have to win in the 50s, and that was uh, what happened. You were down most of the game, came back, and were able to win by one, um, I think it was one or two, but I think it was one. Um, and then uh, that last game against Montana, it was kind of back and forth for the first you know 30 minutes or so, and Montana ended up pulling away. And Montana's a pretty decent team. They're going to yeah. finish probably top three or four in their conference. Uh, and it was, that was a road game. They had a day off because of that UNC-Wilmington withdrawal, so they were a little fresher. Uh, so I think two and one, just based on, you know, just looking at things on paper, I think that was... Kind of what you expected. You would have loved to go three and zero, but you know you can't really be super upset about two and one. So
0: no, I'm with you, and and I think it was a big week of this team sort of finding their identity, which it feels like they don't quite have yet. I I don't think because we've talked about the fact that this, or at least coming into the year, it was going to be more of a run and gun offense. You're going to shoot it more, especially outside. Everybody's going to kind of throw it up, but then that. This, you know, I'm looking at the stats from the San Diego game. We only shot, we shot 10 threes and made one. And, yeah, I mean, you said it, to win that game is a pretty big deal with as, as poorly as you shot it. And you shoot it 10 times again against Montana. You, you're you 4 of 10, shoot 40, 40% from beyond the arc, which is as good as we've shot it. Uh, I'm not sure what the, let's, let's see what the clip was against UNC Wilmington. But, yeah, to me, it feels like, this this team is still um, sort of finding they were 15 attempts from three against UNC Wilmington, seven seven for 15, so 47%. It's so a little better than uh, that Montana game. But, um, yes, yeah, so I don't know if you, in a couple of those long stretches in those two wins at least, you saw it against Montana a little bit. You, you kind of reined it back and you saw a little bit more half-court offense than we saw – in those first three or four games. So I don't know if you changed the approach. Um, we, I mean, you're down 21 at halftime against South Alabama. Not not sure how – I mean, you can certainly take something from it. But South Alabama, I, th- I think we mentioned it maybe briefly last week or the week before, uh, South Alabama's really good. And I, I think it's more of a matter of them just being a lot more talented than we are – um, I mean, Rich Riley is, yeah, this is an interesting, I mean, he is, they lost just about everything off of that roster. I mean, I think, I think they maybe returned three guys. They, they're not the, they don't return the least production, but they're, they're one of the five, they may be the return, the third least production of anyone in division one basketball and more than 85% of their offensive production has been all newcomers and, he had four or five power five transfers. And so, um, and I get to William Carey played down in Mobile. So I, I mean, that's why I kind of know these stats, um, but was thoroughly impressed with watching them play up close. And so, well, yeah, now I'm rambling about South Alabama, but, um, yeah, at, at, they're just uh, at, a, at a different point, it feels like,
1: does it? Right? Yeah, well, I was looking at Ken I mean, who? I mean, it's still early, but right now, I mean, they're sub 200 in Ken Palm.
0: Yeah, and I, I also don't understand. I mean, their only two losses are at Wichita State, and, at and it Alabama. was a three- or four-point loss at Alabama. Right, they're both competitive. And that game was tied with a minute left, and Alabama is, you know, really, really good, and they, they held Alabama to their lowest point production uh, to this point, and... Turn them over a bunch, which they which they have done to us in the first half, and so um, yeah, pretty pretty surprised that they're that low, and I don't think they will be for long.
1: Right. Well, it's fifty three to twenty six now. Uh, okay. I mean, so this was kind of a game where you know well, you felt like you probably would lose just because it was on the road, and you feel like South Al, you know, probably like you said, ahead of you. But I didn't th- I didn't think we'd be down, you know, fifty. Now it's fifty five twenty six with eighteen minutes to go. Okay. Oh, four from three. Uh, it was kind of just what we've been talking about. Like, if we're not going to make a lot of shots, and since because of that, we're going to have to defend at a high level. But we're, <laughs> when you have nights like this where you're not defending at a high level, yeah, it's going to go off the rails. So I, I just think this is what this team is going to be. They're going to have nights where, you know, they're going to shoot it okay and defend enough and they'll win. But they're also going to have nights where they don't shoot it well, and then they're not going to defend and you're just going to get run off the floor. So, I mean, this team is looking, you know, I don't know if they'll finish 12th or 13th or 14th again, but, I mean, it it looks like there's a clear ceiling of, you know, ninth or 10th place or something like that, just because you're not going to be able to score enough to keep up in a lot of these games. I mean, now I will say, uh, Tay Hardy is not playing tonight. Right, that's a big deal. And he's, you know, probably your best um, outside shooter, so that is certainly a factor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing. You know, you, you look at us, that's South Alabama's going to be a teamy play, uh, right twice every year in the Sun Belt. Uh, and we're really not being competitive with them tonight. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the non conference schedule goes. You got, uh, Southern Illinois on the road, which is, um, kind of, I think, an upper middle, uh, team in the Missouri Valley, which is a very mm-hmm. solid conference, uh, past couple of years. Uh, Loyola's in there, uh, Missouri State. Um, and then you host, um, Speaking of Loyola host New Loyola New Orleans, which yeah. is a very good NAIA team.
0: Possibly uh, the probably the best NAIA team in the country. They play William Carey tomorrow night, so I'll have, a, oh, okay. I'll have a full report on that. Yeah, I
1: think last I checked last week they were number two in the country, but they beat U in the next. Yep. Ambition. So they've already taken down a um a division one team. So that is not going to be a cupcake in the no. slightest. And that'll kind of be like some of those better William Carey teams where you're really mm. fighting uh to beat them. So, yeah, it, it's just disappointing tonight. You hope uh, they can, you know, like we're saying, defense first is going to be kind of the, um, I guess, the identity of this team. It just hasn't been there tonight. But, you know, no, you, you get Hardy back, hopefully make a couple more shots, and uh, maybe the team will surprise yeah. us later in the year.
0: Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. The, Tay's not going to close the 30-point gap. No. Uh, we're now down 30. Well, sixteen minutes left. Y'all are getting our live reaction uh, to us getting stomped by South Alabama, but I, I think it is. I, I initially said I don't know how much you can take away from this game. I don't know why I said that because I think you can take a lot from this because this is this is your first. Um, you know, I I think you you put this South Alabama team in the in Conference USA. They're they're probably top three in Conference USA, even though they are are apparently. Uh, Sub two hundred, but yeah, and and I know that that will more than likely change. But just based on you know it's early in the schedule, and that'll change. But I think this is uh, this shows you sort of the gap from, uh, you know, a number of different ways. But you know, just at large from where you want to be competing at the top of the conference. And we talked about how the Sun Belt and Conference USA are pretty comparable basketball leagues uh you're a long way off and um we yeah i think you have to kind of revise you know our our initial prediction was top half of the conference if you can score because yeah. we had more depth and right well we were kind of hoping for that right yeah it was that was a big if and that right. that's yeah not been the case um those things that needed to go right have not gone right and you know don't appear to be trending in the the right direction so uh, yeah, it, it's um, it's frustrating because we have not
1: been very good in a long time. And well, that that last doc year that was I mean, that, I know there there were some bad moments. You you know you lose a Longwood and the CI or CBI or whatever it was. Yeah. Um yeah. But that was a that was a pretty good team.
0: Oh, it was fun. You were competitive and you felt like you had a chance. So even in the conference tournament, you I mean, you get put out. I think it was by
1: Western Kentucky. And this, I mean, that team was the. USM was the betting favorite, the computer favorite by pretty much everybody heading into that uh, conference tournament. You really felt like, I mean, you know, we've been spurned so many times by USM Athletics. You you know, you always feel like it's about to be snake bit, which is, you know, we ended up uh, losing in that conference tournament. But there's certainly a very real chance that docs last year that you could have gone to the NCAA tournament. And I feel like, I don't know if they would have won a game, but I think they could have been competitive against, you know, a three or four seed. I agree. As a 13 or 14. Yeah. But, um. Yeah,
0: we are uh, we're a long way off from
1: that though. Yeah,
0: and you look at you look at ri- what Richie Riley has done at South Alabama. I told you how he just completely flipped that uh, that roster around, and are extremely competitive. Even though you lose a bunch, because that's I mean that's what happened at that last year, uh, or that year after Doc left. You lost a ton of production, a ton, mm-hmm. uh, just about just about all of your production. Yep, and. Or even, you can go beyond South Alabama. Look across the country and how teams have utilized the transfer portal. I think you, I mean, Lander's done that a little bit. You know, that was, it was a big deal to get more from St. John's. But I think you almost, you almost have to just really, it's, I I try, I I don't think you should, you don't build a roster on the transfer portal. But there are, I don't know 7 there at one point there were 1700 plus players in the transfer portal and it feels like a lot of the teams really from top to bottom you, I mean even even I mean you go look at Baylor how many transfers they got in and um you know the top teams in the country all the way down the a lot of the best rosters are littered with high quality transfers and that's not to say you know it's there's a lot that goes into it it's yeah. it's hard to <laughs> recruit either way and you're still you know, we've talked about how your back's against the wall with the facilities that we have, which hopefully that changes in the next couple of years. But feels like maybe, you know, maybe you need to go more that direction of, of going and, and getting some of those transfers and relying less on high school recruiting.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like we kind of, Did that or this year? I mean, you have Hardy. He was a JUCO transfer. You you include
0: the JUCO, yeah, yeah, or current
1: high school with JUCO, yeah. All right, yeah. So, I mean, I was just thinking, like, if you look at like the best USM teams over the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, like the team that went to the tournament, you had Angelo Johnson, who was um, from USC, and then you had um, Darnell Dodson from Kentucky, Kentucky, and then you had a couple JUCO. Neil Watson started his career Toledo, but he went to a JUCO. Uh Lache Page was a JUCO guy. Um so, I mean it was basically all transfers. I mean, that was the kind mm-hmm. of the thing with Eustace was pretty much either a four year transfer or JUCO transfers. Uh and then you look at Doc, you had Tyree Griffin from Oklahoma State, right? Who was a phenomenal point guard here. Um although that team did have some high school guys mixed in like Cortez Edwards. Well yeah, and it's Lendavis it's certainly a mix, but right. but yeah, I mean <clears throat> I just I don't see any way like we've talked about the facilities. I don't see any way how you're gonna get high and right, right. high school talent yeah. to USM just because of the facilities. Right. And but now we we did talk about you know Rashad Bolden he he he's a high, for true freshman from St Andrews. Right. Um, but you you kind of feel like um, you know just because like we've been saying the facilities is tough to get those um, those really good high school yeah. players, and I mean that's kind of what they used to say about. Um, Tyndall or eustachia like they'd have to get commit guys off campus so they mm-hmm. wouldn't see reed green right. like all right all right we're gonna get you to sign the papers but we don't right. want you to see the we don't want you to see our, our facilities because yep. that make you run away um so it, it's just kind of a i guess an investment thing we've kind of yeah it is we've that's ne- we've neglected <laughs> basketball for a long time and i think you know hopefully you know we've talked about those those plans um, right that um it's in the works the public bid or what, whatever um it was we were talking about um so you know hopefully in the next five years we're going to look a lot different and it will be um a situation where you can get high right high profile i mean i'm not saying you're going to get a four star five star player to usm basketball but you know better high school talent than we have been getting because um i've said it before but there was a jeff goodman article several years ago ranking the conference usa jobs uh, basketball and they pulled all, or not all, but a bunch of coaches and head coaches and assistants. At Conference USA, based on how they thought the jobs were, and they have ranked them by each category. And USM was dead last in facilities. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, Reed Green is um is it, a problem for sure.
0: It is, and you, it's, and also partially why I say that. And we'll get, we'll get off this. We're we're going too long at basketball, but basketball is also, I think, people's might you know hear that and say oh you can't you know you got to go get young guys and and build a culture and develop guys in your in your program and yes that's that's certainly beneficial but also just by nature or by the nature of basketball you know relative to football you can you can bring guys in like a Darnell Dotson and he can come in and have an immediate impact you don't have to it's it's less of A necessity to have guys in your program for long periods. I mean, I don't know. Look at Kentucky. And it's, it's, I think that just then, that's the first time Southern Miss basketball and Kentucky basketball have been linked (laughs) together in the same sentence. But yeah, that goes to show you, you don't, you don't have to have it a foundation of, of young guys to be successful that are, that are in your program for four or five years. Um, So, anyways, well, um, yeah hopefully that uh the the thing in march at the rock is a big uh capital campaign announcement again i haven't heard anything more about that but hopefully they they kind of blow up regreen and it looks a lot different because i think i don't think you're really going to be competitive in the top of the conference consistently until yeah. until that changes i think that's safe to say uh coaching carousel plenty to talk about here we will i mean a lot but uh, yeah, you just want to do a, a quick little rundown of, of everything. Yeah, well, I
1: mean, I guess the big ones, we'll talk about that before we get to the ones that are kind of related to USM. I mean, everybody knows Brian Kelly went to LSU, uh, Lincoln Riley went to USC. Those were the two big moves. Uh, but once you get down to kind of the group of five level, you had, we talked about Billy Napier leaving was a probability, and that did happen. Right. He, he left for Florida. He will coach the uh, the conference some um, championship game there saturday but then he will be on his way to gainesville he he said he might coach the ball i don't i don't think that'll happen that'll oh i think they'll with early signing period that's no the only coach i can ever remember coaching the bowl was on the way out was fedora in uh 2011 maybe there's been others but i i can't i can't think of any but i I was listening to a split zone duo and they had said uh the top two candidates there are patrick tony who is the uh defensive coordinator there now ron roberts who was in the mix at u.s civil last year he's Mm -hmm. the baylor dc he's had head coach success at um, some lower levels at delta state southeastern louisiana um so he's um obviously baylor's having a great season so he's he's not an up-and-comer but he's had uh plenty of success um at these other schools albeit not at the fbs level another guy that i could see being in the mix who's mentioned in one article rob sale who is the offensive line coach for the giants he um he was the uh coordinator, office coordinator last year. Mm-hmm. Our, our I guess the previous however many years Napier's been on staff. He's kind of a Napier disciple who's with him at Arizona State as well. Um he's pretty highly regarded. He could be uh an option. I, I haven't I think they're in the pretty early stages of uh of that search, so not a whole lot has leaked out yet. Um but it'll kind of be interesting to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, that's uh I mean that that is uh has a lot to do with the future of Sunbelt West and I feel like the foundation is there and I feel like that thats also part of why it was so great for Lafayette to hold on to Napier that long because you really have that foundation so you feel like you can hire a guy like Patrick Tony and or just you know somebody on staff uh, I mean that's the dream right is just to do the Southern Miss baseball way of things and you just hire the next you know the assistant coach and, and just if keep it rolling with it to things. football you so, look
1: at App State football at, after yeah. uh Drinkwitz left. They just promoted uh, the coordinator. He's done a really good job there so far. Right. So. Yeah.
0: And so that that's the dream to do that. And I feel like they've they've got the foundation there that Napier has left behind. And I, I don't know if they go with Tony or not, but uh, that's a big deal for the West because they have they have certainly run that division um, in the last four or five years. So uh, La Tech, Skip Holtz on his way out of town. Um, that's that's uh, really interesting to me because. And Sonny Sunny Cumbie, uh, they hire the Texas Tech offensive coordinator. I have not <clears throat> I have not done a whole lot of reading into that, but seems to be the consensus is that's a pretty good hire. Um, but briefly, I, I did just want to say on Holtz. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's it was it was interesting to me. I know that the fan base kind of turned on him, but he really was not bad at La Tech at all. No, and was- it's it was it's interesting because the perception I think. You get to the end of this year, and it was that, okay, he's got to go. But then you look at his, his overall record there, it's not that bad. I mean, he relative to, I mean, the past, he was really, really good at Lontech.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, he was, he was the best coach they've ever had since they went to FBS. Right. Um I guess he never won a conference championship, and he kind of just had the way of losing the big games. You know, we talked about earlier in the year, they lost those three games against um, some good competition, all mm-hmm. really close, and... Yeah, it was just kind of a it had gotten stale. Uh, fans have lost interest, and in, you know they're transitioning into a, a weaker conference. USA, so you try to bring in somebody. That yeah,
0: he, yeah, fresh blood. I mean, he was he was eight and four in bowl games. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's and it's. He people had beat, have a
1: short memory in college football. That's he'd beaten some big teams in those. He beat yeah. Illinois, or I mean, you know, power five teams. Illinois is not a big name, but he'd beat Miami in a bowl. He'd beaten SMU. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he had brought them, you know, the best decade of football they've had since uh, moving up to this level. And, um, yeah, but, you know, you go 3-9, and fans, attendance is down. Right. um, Just kind of a malaise around uh, the program, I guess. Um, And they got rid of him. So they hired Sonny Cumbie, which I think is going to work. I think that's a fit. Uh, La Tech has had some success in the past with Air A-type, guys Sonny Dykes obviously those two great seasons there in 2011 2012 20 yeah 2011 2012 uh kind of around the turn of the century I guess they had with uh quarterback Tim Ratty I think is how you say it um he put up huge numbers on the air raid uh system there then and then even I mean even go back to like Terry Bradshaw way back when like sure he was toward the top of like just yards passing yards passing attempts uh, back then so they've always kind of had the the history of uh i guess sort of like usms the nasty bunch la tech has their little version of the air raid and Cumby is from texas tech played under michael leach so he comes from that kind of leach style of offense um so i think that's going to be a fit uh a fit for la tech i don't know how you know he'll do but i think you know in terms of i, I don't think he's going to do horribly at least i think he'll be you know especially in the Conference USA is his, you know, going to be constituted. I think he'll have them, uh, competing for championships there and making bowls, um, and that kind of thing. So I th- I think that'll be okay for them. But I guess we'll see. You know, that's the thing. I mean, it's so hard to predict these uh these coaching hires. You have no so, idea. Yeah.
0: yeah, but on on paper, it seems to be a pretty good hire, and especially in a weaker conference USA. I mean, the expectation is is to compete at the the top of the conference, to be sure. I, and plenty more to come too I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain with all the openings I mean we'll have more to talk about that next week um, um, for sure
1: yeah but before we move on Jake Spavitel yeah. looks like he's going to be retained at Texas State uh, okay he's been there a couple of years has been to a bowl he's kind of more known as a play caller instead of a program builder right uh, I think his entire recruiting class was uh, made up of um, transfers last year so he, he didn't have the greatest relationship with those Texas high school coaches which is a little bit worrisome but uh they will he's off the Dana Holgerson sure he came from West Virginia Those see there so th- they are going to retain him so I guess he'll probably have kind of a make it or break it type year right that's
0: yeah that's what I was going to say this will this will be his last one if he doesn't really turn it around because I, I was I was one of the people who expected him to be gone at the end of the year all right let's uh let's get to know one of our conference mates on number four right
1: uh yeah it it's is number yeah. four yeah so Georgia Southern uh, this week, uh, George Southern. They are in Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, it is a city of about thirty-three thousand. It's actually grown quite a bit. Um, it's probably had, probably tripled its population over the last you know three decades or so. But it's an hour uh, from Savannah, three hours from Atlanta, and two and a half from Jacksonville. So it's kind of it's in the middle of nowhere, but it is you know close to some uh, you know kind of bigger cities, major uh, metropolitan areas. But it is a it is a classic kind of college town, which we've talked about uh, being a plus uh, for the Sun Belt, and that they have those kind of smaller southern towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it started in 1908, uh, first district agricultural and mechanical school. Uh, it was basically for agricultural and homemaking skills to rural children. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1920s transitioned into a uh, teacher's college, a four-year teacher's college to meet that need, and then came South Georgia Teacher's College uh eventually became Georgia Teachers College in 1939 and then Georgia Southern College in 1959. It uh, was granted university status in 1990 and became Georgia Southern University. Uh, it is a heavily in-state uh, institution, 91% of the students from in-state. They have 19, just under 19,000 at the Statesboro campus. Uh, biggest in-state market is actually Atlanta, which is, like we said, it is um, three hours, um, Atlanta's three hours north of Statesboro, but they do get a lot of students from Atlanta, uh just because Georgia is really selective, so if you, if you can't get into Georgia, you go to Georgia Southern. Uh, but they, then after that, they get a bunch of students from that coastal plain area: Georgia, Statesboro, Savannah, and then Augusta. Uh, and then they get some students from South Carolina and Florida, uh, and it is kind of known as a kind of a big party school uh, in a way, um, almost like a almost like a group of five Ole Miss. You know, we talk about all those <sighs> all those kids from Atlanta they get that couldn't get into Georgia they go to old or georgia southern apparently but um uh so it is unusual so it is an older public school in the south but they did not have football uh for almost for about 40 years uh it stopped in 19 uh 41 after war or at the uh, start of World war 2 uh then they revived it in 1981 um so their first they played two uh seasons at the club level and then in 1984 they were at the one double a now fcs level um yeah, so the first season, 1AA, 1984, Irk Russell, who's was the defense coordinator at Georgia, came in to uh, restart the program. He won three titles there in the 80s. Uh, then he retired. They won three more, uh, 1990, 1999, and 2000. So they were a six-time FCS champion. So they were a real uh, FCS power. Uh, they had a couple coaches most people have probably heard of. Paul Johnson was there, um, who eventually went on to um, Georgia Tech and uh, or Navy, then Georgia Tech uh willie Fritz was there who kind of transitioned them into uh f b s uh before going to two lane they have that tradition of going uh w- or going with the triple option offense uh kind of like a service academy it's not quite a you know a raw kind of uncut triple option like a navy or a um or an air force or something like that but um it is kind of based in that uh wishbone uh type um approach i guess um so out of the last five years, uh, they've been eight out of fourteen in the Sun Belt uh, average, Massey average. They won the 14, 2014 Sun Belt title uh, with Willie Fritz. They were eligible to, uh, I guess, go to a bowl and claim that championship just because they were part of that was part of the transition. Uh, but they've had five winning seasons and eight FBS years. They they just hired Clay Helton from USC, so that would indicate that they're going to probably move away from the triple option, which would yeah. be a um, a big you know a big move for them because uh, that's kind of. The identity of the program is running that offense, so that would um that's going to be a big big transition for them going forward. Assuming that they um you know go with just a kind of a normal spread offense like everybody else, but uh, they've played USM once, 1941. USM won seventy to nothing in Hattiesburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only meeting between the two schools. Uh, Basketball has been kind of the upper middle part of the league. Uh, they've been five out of fourteen in the Massey average for over four years. Uh, they've kind of been on the decline, rebuild. They had a coach lead for James Madison, actually. So I guess that maybe could be a rivalry uh, between those two just because of the, the coach that's is James Madison now. But they have three appearances all the time. They never won a game, which is just like USM. Uh, then baseball, a uh, pretty good baseball program. Uh, Just like basketball, they're 5 out of 14 on uh, the four-year average. Uh, They've been six regionals Uh, in the 21st century. Most recent was in 2014. That was their last year in the uh, Southern Conference, I guess. Um, but they, um, went to the, uh, went to Omaha 73 and 19 and, uh, went to Omaha in 1973 and 1990. Uh, they've had a long time coach, Ronnie and He's been there 20 plus seasons, but they have good fan support. Uh, they usually get about a thousand, uh, per game, which in college baseball is really solid, even though it didn't sound like that. I know we draw, you know, three thousands, but 1,000 is, that's, that's fine. And then, uh, famous alums, kind of like App State, they have that, uh, Bunch of country singers. They have uh, Luke Bryan went there, Cole Swindle went there, and then uh, the president of Chick Fil A, uh, Daniel Cathy, the son of uh, Truett Cathy, uh, who started Chick Fil A. So they have uh, country singers and Chick Fil A. Uh, is are the famous alums? So.
0: And that's Georgia right there. Yeah. Really, Sun, Sunbelt pumps out some country music stars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Not a not a whole lot to add on Georgia Southern. I I think I, I think they kind of fit the bill of uh, just. Another another school whose, which maybe I should stop saying this. I say this about I've said this about everyone. Just a school whose whose identity you connect with, uh, pretty naturally as as uh, as Southern Miss and um I, the Clay Helton hire was really interesting to me. I think cut a lot of people off guard. Um, it's all it's not quite as off the wall as as some people thought. I mean he was he's been in the South. He was at. Duke, and he was at Memphis, and I think it was at Houston for one year. Yeah, he
1: has not had many stops, but yeah, he was I,
0: his first head coaching job was USC. Is that wrong?
1: Yes, he was the interim at USC, and he he kind of like uh, Ed Orgeron did at uh, LSU, yeah. right?
0: and that was his first head coaching job. And so, um, th- I yeah, I feel like that's a really good hire, and it, it'll probably if they do go away from the triple option, you probably you know. Expect that to take a little bit to to turn around because you have to recruit for a very very different system. But uh, that's uh, yeah, that is um, that's another trip I think you look forward to taking. Uh, you know, right there around Savannah and in Atlanta. That's that's a, a cool part of Georgia. And so, um, but a, another school. Uh, there are a lot of these. I don't know, they're they're not they're not a lot of these schools because we're we we are going through these east teams a lot, just just as a matter of the alphabet. But there are not because I feel like there are schools in Conference USA. I preface this by saying Conference USA that you just don't really want to have anything to do with, and you're like, oh well, you know they're in the other division. We don't play them. That's fine. I don't feel like you have that with the Summit. I feel like there because because I, I I think you would enjoy playing just about every team in the Sun Belt every year because, again, you have this identity lock with a lot of these schools across the conference. It's not just in the West Division. And so, you know, the rotation that you get, however that shakes out in the East, I don't think you're going to be, you know, just terribly disappointed every year because you're not playing a certain team or you are playing these teams you have nothing in common with. And Yeah, I think that's just another big bonus of being in the Sun Belt. I think top to bottom You are excited about the matchups you are going to have.
1: Yeah, you kind of have that, you know, cultural bond like we've talked about. Where Georgia Southern, like USM, I mean, Georgia State's bar is smaller than Hattiesburg, but you know, medium sized public university. I mean, they're a little bigger than we are, just in terms of students. But um, yeah, but yeah, public university, small town in the south, um, kind of has that football, kind of rural football culture. Yeah, and you're Uh, close
0: to some. Some big cities, you're kind of in the middle of, you know, like Southern Miss is, or like Hattiesburg is in the middle of some bigger places. and
1: Yeah, you go to Savannah or Tybee Island. That's, you know, we an hour away. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Georgia Southern, honestly. So
0: Yeah. I do too. And I feel like that's a decent segue into championship week. We'll talk, we'll, t- we'll go Sunbelt and Conference USA championship week.
1: Yeah. So, um, Actually, one of the questions we got was about championship. It reaction. was okay. But, so this,
0: we'll answer our first question. Yeah,
1: um, but I guess we'll talk about CUSA over since we're still in CUSA. Uh, you have Western Kentucky and UTSA. Western Kentucky really beat up on Marshall. It's just, just yeah. that uh, that offensive attack for uh, WKU is really relentless. I, I think, and then of course UTSA was upset. They lost badly to North Texas. Yeah, um, so really badly. But WKU, it has really been remarkable to see the. Uh, you know, we talked about it all year. They've imported these Southland coaches and players from Houston Baptist, and like S and P Plus has them as a top twenty-five team. Yeah. So I I think I think Western Kentucky's I think they're gonna win. I think I th- I just think they're a better team than UTSA. I know that's crazy to say, but I think Western I, UTSA yeah UTSA did beat them by six earlier, but I just think WKU's better.
0: I I'm with you. I agree. I think I do think it being in the Alamo Dome. I think that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I think that that is that uh. I think that first half, I think it'll be really close. I think maybe it was, uh, was that, was the Western Marshall game, was that in Huntington? Yes. Okay. I think maybe a little similar to that because, oh gosh, they were, they had trouble scoring for the much of the first half. It was like 7 nothing, 10 3 Marshall for a long time. I was kind of loosely keeping up with it. But then eventually they break through as good as that offense is. I think you might see something similar we're in the first half UTSA is you know they're all expecting 40 plus thousand in the Alamo Dome and that that place gets loud 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 and so I I think that's uh that that keeps UTSA in it and you know obviously they've got plenty of talent but showed last week they are extremely beatable um, and you know we had them on the ropes and uh, really should have lost to UAB too so I think I think they're. Uh, I think people are starting to catch on that they might be a little overrated and Western might be a little underrated. So I, I'm with you on that. I think Western. I think Western wins by two plus touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I was just talking about the Alamo Dome. I think some UAB uh, media guy was saying something like the USM coaches told uh, the UAB some about the UAB staff was told from the USM coach that the Alamo Dome was louder than Bryant Denny or yeah. something like that. So yeah, I guess just because of the dome. I mean, who knows that they're. Maybe they're pumping in uh, pumping in crowd noise, possibly. Uh, yeah, like the Falcons used to do. But um, I think
0: most of it is it's indoors. And um, I I did I heard the the uh, Bill Clark's interview post game after after the UAB UTSA game, and he said it was. He said too it was it was the loudest. I think he I think he said it was the loudest atmosphere he's ever coached in, and he said that's that's including the swamp, and so pretty impressive. That that will uh, certainly make a difference uh what about sunbelt ship
1: i think so it's going to be uh app state at ull um i think app state's going to win that i think <laughs> i think it's a similar thing where app, so app state went to uh, lafayette earlier in the year and uh, lafayette really beat them down but it's a situation where i just i think app state is the better team they've really finished strong I and mean, they've kind of they've blown out pretty much everybody they played down the stretch mm-hmm. whereas lafayette had a close game against them um, Monroe this last Saturday. Sure. Um, so, I, I just, I don't know. It, maybe Napier's distracted uh, by taking a Florida job. Um, I feel like that's something that's always talked about with coaches transitioning, but I feel like most of the time the coaches are actually transitioning win. That's just kind of an anecdotal thing. It right. may not actually be true, but I just think App State's another team kind of like WKU that really grades out well on those kind of efficiency-type metrics. Um, they're kind of, you know, top 25, fringe top 25, even if they're not uh, getting as much love from uh the pollsters is Lafayette is. so i think i'm going to go with App State in this one um uh, so i'm going go with the road team in both games so.
0: this one to be this one's a little more of a toss up i think than than the conference USA game it's a really interesting dynamic too with with Napier coaching his last game because that could like you said it could be him you know a little distracted and he's already uh you know recruiting for Florida and and what have you um if he's doing that or it could be this is my last game and they're all fired up to play for them. And, you know, you know, that could, I don't know, could be an advantage. So I am, uh, I'm going to go ULL. I think the Cajuns won it. Uh, Napier sends, they send Napier out on the right note. So I'll I'll go ULL. Uh, let's, let's look at some of these other questions as we round it out. Yeah. Uh, here's a Sunbelt question. Adam Grimsley, Pat, you can speak to this, I think probably better than I can. So he says, so is it a this is on Twitter. So is it a given that the Sun Belt will pick up more bowl slots? That's also that's kind of up in the air too. Um, that was a a lot of that was dependent on how Conference USA shook out. But
1: yeah, I, I don't. That's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't know because that was one of the thing. One of the things that was always we've talked about it before. But like always, we always thought the Sun Belt was a joke because their champion went to the New Orleans Bowl, <laughs> right? And so that was all the bowl tie-ins. They've all, CUSA has always had better bowl tie-ins. But now, yeah. I mean, a lot of these bowls now, I mean, there's so many new bowls. Like there's the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And there's some of these bowls I'm not even really familiar with. But it, it's almost like a group of five pool. Like anything, just take any group of five team they want. Like I know the Myrtle Beach Bowl is like that. So it could be more of a – which I think is good. I, I think they should get rid of bowl tie-ins and just take whoever they want, these bowls. Yeah. Um. But I think – I mean, I would certainly think just because the Sunbelt's going to have more teams – um they're gonna have fourteen teams compared to C USA having nine teams and the Sun Belt mm-hmm. we think, you know, very likely it'd be the better football conference. It better be the better football conference right. out of those two. Um that the Sunbelt will, you know, get a fair share of bowl times. Where I I don't know. I would expect the New Orleans bowl to fit in there just because that's a historic bowl for the Sunbelt, just dating back to whenever the New Orleans Bowl was founded. I guess that was early two thousands. Sunbelts always kinda had a partnership with them. Uh I would hope they keep the um dollar, or what? I don't even know what bowl it is. Is it the dollar general bowl? The bowl of mobile, the old GMAC. Yeah, the GMAC. Yeah, I think it is the dollar general. Okay. That's so that's the mobile. That makes a lot of sense just because it's right within the footprint yard. You, you have a member institution in that city, obviously, South Alabama. Uh, the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, I, I would expect that to be a Sunbelt tie in. Uh, Myrtle Beach, because of the coastal connection, that would be a bowl uh, that you would see. And then, who knows, Frisco. I think that. Some of them may have like a secondary tie or like a group of five pool tie uh, to that. So I think you're going to have a bunch of bowls kind of within the footprint uh, with the core being that Camellia Bowl, the Dollar General, New Orleans. Um, I'd love to see something with the Independence Bowl. I think that's... Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, some years it, it kind of varies. Uh, if the You know, obviously we've had some years like we played Florida State there, but sometimes... You know, it'll be like Ohio against ULM or someone like that. Right. So it, it varies really by year to year with the yeah. Independence Bowl. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see how all of these bowl tie-ins kind of change after realignment. you got to think there's going to be a shake-up. So.
0: Yeah, and you would certainly, like you said, you would expect Conference USA just to lose some of those. Just just to, I mean, due to the fact that there are less teams, but also due to the fact that it's a, a much weaker conference, and so they're as CUSA has typically had stronger bowl times, you would expect that to change as the power dynamic has pretty obviously changed. Uh, that, that's not lost on those bowl executives. Conference championship predictions, we answered that. Thank you, Luke, for the question. Andy Burleson, uh, this is a tweet. Does Will Hall retire after 25 or 30 years at Southern Miss, or does he stick around until the 2060s? That's a great question, Andy. Pat, I'll let you answer that.
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess on a serious note, uh, I, I think, you know, Hall kind of fits the model or the mold of the up and comer, the guy who's going to stay here. He's going to, or he's going to not stay here and win for a couple years yeah. and then moves on to a um, a bigger job. But I think, you know, I think most USN fans at this point agree that you got to embrace this stepping stone. You got to get the coach in here. He's going to stay three <laughs> or four years, maybe five, if you're lucky. Um, And then he's going to win a championship for you, hopefully. Um, And then he's going to move on, you know, to a bigger job. And I think that's that's a good thing. I don't know if everybody's going to agree with that. Some people, they may like the other approach. But in this day and age, you're not going to get another Jeff Bauer that's going to stay almost 20 years and, um, you know, not take another job. Um, So I think, you know, you kind of tried to bring back some kind of form of Bauer with um with uh Ellis, which obviously was a complete disaster, and then Hobson, which wasn't quite Ellis bad, but he didn't give us what we wanted either. So Yeah. And then you hire um you know, Fedora, an up and comer, won a championship, Munkin, an up and comer, uh, won you a division, turned the program around uh out of the ditch. So I-, I think the uh yeah, I mean I think Hall, if he does what we think and hope he does, he's gonna win a championship here in a couple of years. Uh, then will probably you know take another job somewhere, um, that you know pays a lot more. But um, I think you know if that happens, I think you got to be okay with that because if he takes another job, that means he's doing a really good job here. Yeah, and he deserved to bump up. And you know if he did a really good job here, that's good for Southern Miss, obviously. So um, I don't know. I I, I would uh, I yeah, I guess that's kind of a, a more serious answer than uh he might have won it. But I think yeah. if um, you know if Hall takes another job and. Within the next five years, I think that's a good thing because that may, means he won here. So.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty obviously the the model that has worked in Group of Five. I think you, you've seen the schools that have gone, like you you know the Jay Hopson example, or even the Ellis Johnson example of us trying to 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 find somebody that is that is going to be here uh, long term. That is not has not been a sustainable model, and typically those that have gone with that have been burned. And again, Andy, I know this, probably not the answer you wanted, but I, you've just heard so many coaches say it of, you know, I want to be here for, you know, blah, blah, blah. You, you, you know, Donnie Tindall said it. And however many guys, you know, it just seems like just about every coach says it before they move on. Um, and you, you know, the, the comments by coach Hall, I guess this week on, I guess he said it on Super Talk and um, maybe another place, but the fact that he, you know, says he wants to do it differently when talking about the coaching carousel and all this kind of stuff and how the the industry is has changed uh, to where guys have to take jobs because they can get fired in a year and, and uh, you know with one bad year. Um, I will say it does it does feel like. I say this with caution. It does feel like Coach Hall is. Does or would be the kind of guy to approach it differently and and stay somewhere longer? Um, that is not to say I expect him to be at Southern Miss, uh, you know, for however many years, um, you know, as long as he wants to. But it does it does feel like he is not, you know, just itching to get out of here and take the first bus out of town. I think I think he would be more. I would lean closer to him being you know, a Napier type where he would wait for a job that he really, really wants and likes. And, um, it would be a really good fit for him. And, you know, the, the hope, you know, if you're a Southern Miss fan is if that's the case, you know, that 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 doesn't come around, um, you know, for four or five years, if he's, if he is playing at a championship level, you get two or three years of that and yeah. And then he goes and takes another job and then you find another guy who's similar to him, who's, you know, who fits well. And, who you know you don't expect to be there for 30 years because that that's just not college football today. Uh, that being said, I think he I think he retires in 2065 and um after winning two national championships and um to answer your question, Andy. Final answer.
1: Ye- yeah, um <laughs> uh, possible uh breaking news. Uh-oh, uh okay. maybe uh so Troy released their 2020 – it looks like, just based on this tweet they had, released their 2022 football schedule. USM is not on there. So that would The full you, schedule. It looks – I mean, I just got sent uh, this tweet from Blake Moore. So that would make you think uh, that USM will not uh, be in the Sun Belt in uh, 2022. Uh, it was it, – Keith well, Gill was asked about that um, in the press conference. He said they would have to know soon because of scheduling uh, purposes. Hmm. Um so I, I don't know. He may that may be the truth. They may be just saying that uh, you know for legal reasons. He can't say, "Oh yeah, they're definitely joining in 2022. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Uh, but that that was interesting. That Troy has already released their twenty twenty two football schedule. So it we'll is have, interesting. So to follow that more. But going back to the thing about um Hall, I think that the whole thing about the fit, I think that is good for USN because he'll put, like you're talking about Napier. He's not going to take the first job out of town. Like, Napier had chances to take other jobs. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think, you know, I think Hall is a better fit at USM than Napier was at Lafayette, even though Napier, you know, that was a great relationship between those two. But, you know, Hall being a Mississippi guy, I think this is kind of a natural progression in his career. Group of five coach in his home state. You know, he can recruit at an area he really knows well. Um, I I mean, I would guess his family is happy here. So I I think all those things kind of help USM where you can keep a guy like Hall, if he um, gets the program to a championship level a little longer than you would someone like a Fedora or a Munkin, yeah. that, you know, while they did good things here, that it wasn't the, they weren't as perfect fits for USM as Hall, is just because they didn't have those Mississippi ties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and ties to the region, that kind of thing, so. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so, yeah, just so deeply connected in the state and has helped you in recruiting and will continue to help you, so. Oh, uh, we had a women's basketball question. This was from Mason on Twitter. Shout us a DM. Would uh he says, Would you would be interested to hear you guys talk about the women's basketball game from today? And this was on Friday. Uh, and then the follow up or I guess the question is, is this Joy's last season?
1: Uh well, I guess so that was Friday he sent that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, that was a loss to Pine Bluff. I mean, that was a really bad loss. Yes, yeah, that was rough. Uh, the, I forgot the stat I sent out, but they had lost. Basically, they had only won two uh, Division I, um two Division One non-conference games in the last six or seven years. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff is a SWAC uh, team. Do I think it's Joyce last year? No, I think, I mean, she's kind of, um, I mean, I think she's kind of on that deal where, She's going to coach as long as she wants. Um, you know, kind of whether you like it or not. Uh, I won't offer my opinion on that, but that's just kind of the way I feel about it. So,
0: I don't know. There are a couple of different ways to look at it. I, you know, she just got her 500th win. I think that was the first game of the season against uh, against William Carey. I think that's correct. And so, she is uh, she's well liked. I think by the administration. I think it's also dependent on her health. It's, she has you know publicly dealt with cancer and. Uh, seems to have uh you know at least um gotten to a good point with that to obviously to where she is coaching still and so yeah jury's jury's still out of of how that affects things and um I will say I, I think you I think well I ought to be careful saying this. I think there are there are replacements that would be very, very high quality that you could go and get and I don't know how much that plays into it. Um, it might a lot. It might, you know, not at all. If, if it, you know, maybe a case of where if Joy wants to be there, um, you know, for another couple of years, then she can do that. Um, and, you know, the universities, and, and, you know, it's women's basketball is not, and hopefully this doesn't <laughs> come off as sexist, but it's, it's not one of the big three. It's not the money maker. So there's not this pressure on you. To win and you know to make the postseason every year or every however many years, um, so yeah, there's there's not that pressure on you, and I think you've seen that with Joy as Coach McNeilis. She has she has been successful, um, you know. I, I think overall and had some good years, and you have some down years, and you you take that. I think for the most part in women's basketball, um, but yeah, to it, you know, you could grab that game for friday i think there is a lot of room for improvement and so they
1: they uh they did win day against georgia state they did that was a good
0: win in atlanta and uh and you've got some you recruited really well got some big recruits uh, in in the off season um so yeah there there're just different ways there're different ways that could shake out uh, she's not
1: even 60 i mean so she could she could be here another 10 i mean depending on she you know, could so i mean i don't know I mean, I've always thought you were talking about you know the future law long term coach, um, or I guess the coach after her. I mean, I've always thought Missy Bilderback would be a well, phenomenal.
0: That yeah, that's I didn't I didn't want to start okay. throwing out. Uh, okay, but that's no, I, I think that's fine. Yeah, she is. I mean, played at USM and has done a phenomenal job at, at Jones, and is and, just a very natural is is very well liked at Southern Miss, and 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 I mean, I've I've had people tell me that uh, you know they would um you know when when coach mcnellis uh moves on that that she would she'd be a pretty natural fit and and she's had some bigger offers too and she was has stuck around hattiesburg
1: she had signed on at northwestern state and then uh went back to um to jones she mm-hmm. had used the coach Northwestern State for like two weeks and then she went back uh to jones so yeah, I, I think that would be a very, very strong hire. Now I am a PCS alum. She won two uh That's right. <laughs> she won two overall championships at PCS basically I mean, she built that PCS program. I know we're talking about high school M A I S high school girls basketball here, <laughs> but like she built that program from the ground up basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. PCS I, I guess she took over early two thousands. PCS basically didn't have it was barely a school by then. Yeah. Um uh, and then she, you know, built it up. Won a bunch of did two overall. No, that's a cha- great point. Yeah, won two overall championships. Um, won some, I guess, class di- class championships, division championships, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and did a really, really good job at and DCS. Everyone
0: that has played for her loves Missy Builderback, and um, I, I've never heard a bad thing about her. So yeah, so that I think as soon as Coach Spindels moves on, that is that is the natural, um, and that that might be why you have some people, uh, you know, starting to. Ask questions, especially after a result like Friday. Um, would you have somebody like that who would be such a natural fit and who you think would take the job? Uh, you know, maybe that does add a little bit of pressure to Coach McNellis. So, uh, but but again, good win today and uh, certainly some talent on that roster. So, searching for I think we had another question. Oh, Austin Spates. This is this is like three weeks ago, but I feel like I need to address this because I don't want to leave Austin on red. He said, what are the odds of a school like Jackson State or Alcorn getting a call from Conference USA? And this is this is, of course, in the middle of Conference USA. Um, you know, trying to survive and not sure who. We thought they were going to add Tarleton State and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know. We can briefly answer. I, I don't uh, think there's any real no, shot no. of that. No, uh,
1: Jackson State. Uh, Jay White uh, from he's, he does some sports radio um, in Jackson. Anyway, he's long advocated for Jackson State to join or to leave the SWAC and join, like, the OVC or the Southland. Southland's been gutted a little bit Um, because Tennessee State, I believe, is the only um, HBCU that is not in an HBCU conference, Mm -hmm. and he kind of wanted them to copy what Tennessee State has done. Um, I I think Jackson State, now that, I mean, they may be attractive to the OVC just because they have, they've had huge crowds. Yeah, yeah, could be. Um, I mean, like, Power Five level, I mean, just they they outdrew the Egg Bowl, I think, the Soul Bowl between uh them and Alcorn, yep. so they have you know huge fan base for any level, uh, but especially the FCS level, um, but I I don't think there's any interest in all, all the only t- school that could possibly leave the SWAC, um, would be JSU. I don't think there's any interest in them doing so because you know the, those SWAC schools have been together for so long, they've built up rivalries. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, JSU, Corn Valley, Grambling, so yes. this has been playing forever. So no, that I don't think yeah. they'll believe. But yeah, interesting question. Yeah, though.
0: good question, Austin. Thanks uh, for the question. Last question I see on here: Jason Bailey says, "What's your favorite beer?"
1: Yeah, I guess I'll I'll answer that. I, I don't drink personally, but um, I I was just thinking maybe the, one of the last beers I drank was uh oh gosh I I was the it was the first the game they sold alcohol. I just wanted to buy a beer. Just so I could say well, I bought a beer at the first uh, USM game or the first Mississippi, um, whatever, a, a, a Mississippi sporting event that they sold alcohols, and I think I still have the can somewhere. <laughs> I, th- I think I actually just saw the can, like my closet, I kept <laughs> as a as a souvenir. Yeah. But no, I just don't like the taste of it. I'm sorry about that, Jason. So
0: no, that's that's all right. No, no free <laughs> advertisements, but that yeah, that is that's my answer. It's Gold Rush. I feel like if you're a Southern Miss fan yeah. and. You have any other answer? Then you need to you need to check your priorities. So, Gold Rush all the way is my favorite beer. Thanks for the question, Jason. And I think that is all we got. So, Pat, unless you have anything to add, yeah.
1: uh, Basketball ended up losing eighty five fifty five. Okay. Well, so
0: it was uh, yeah. So it stayed around thirty for most of the most of the second half. We are way over an hour, so we are going to wrap it up. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. We greatly appreciate you being with us for another week. We will be back next week and we will at some point figure out a schedule that yeah. we're going to stick with uh, for this for the winter season and we will let you let you know on that for Patrick McGee, my name is Ben Milam. This has been Buzzardry. Hope to' have you with us next time.
1: This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzer Dree Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.